Well, what, what good singing we had, what good fellowship we've had. My wife and I would love to thank you all for making us feel very welcome with the smiles and with the happiness. There's nothing like being in the house of the Lord. Just the worship together. And it amazes me every time that I get to step to the pulpit to speak to you what God has laid on my heart. So with further ado, might as well just pray so we can get started, okay? Heavenly Father, thank you, God. Thank you, thank you, thank you very much for whatever reason you've used me to be a mouthpiece, to be your mouthpiece. Speak through me today, God. Let me preach your truths and your words and your wisdom and none of mine but all of you, Lord, so we can have more and more of you, Lord, but most importantly, that you won't let go and we won't let go of you until you bless us, God, and bless us today. It's in your Son, Jesus Christ's name we pray, amen. On Thursday, June the 10th, 1982, several hundreds of people gathered in a small gymnasium in southern Indiana, Paoli, Indiana. And the reason why they did so is because they wanted to watch their favorite pastime. Now, if you were around in the 1980s, as I were, and you were probably, you would know the favorite pastime to many people were professional wrestling. Okay? And as a four-year-old little boy in 1982, the neatest thing in the whole wide world was to see the bright lights and the cameras and the commotions and all the fun and all the pageantry that was happening. Because the American Wrestling Association, the AWA, graced Paoli with a visitation, and my family was one of the lucky ones to go and see them. Now, the majority of the crowd came to see, well, they came to see Jerry the King Lawler versus the villain of the month, whomever that may be. The entourage of wrestlers consisted of the Fabulous Ones and Jimmy Hart's and Bill Dundee. But the one that stood out to me most was, to me, the great one, Randy Macho Man Savage. Now, if you're old as I am and, and older, you would remember slapping into a Slim Jim every Saturday morning because that was Randy Savage's, that was Randy Savage's choice of uh, snack, okay? So, out of that raw group of talent, Randy Savage went on to be the cultural icon. His journey from being a villain to a hero made him an ideal spokesperson for the professional wrestling brand. Now, the reason why I told you this, and going down memory lane, was not to speak of the importance of wrestling. It was a cultural hit in the 1980s. However, I want to talk to you today about a bigger superstar. And this bigger superstar is the patriot Jacob. Jacob compared to Macho Man was a wrestler. And like Jacob, we are wrestlers, but we wrestle between sin and holiness every day. Now Jacob, today's title of the sermon is called Jacob, the Passive Leader. Now, the retelling of the events in Jacob's life does not happen in isolation. It is found in the book of Genesis. Genesis is the account 
of God's chosen community, not only exemplified as the lineage of Adam, but as the chosen nation. God turned the traditional rules of society around. In patriarchal times, there was an important on the birthright blessing. The birthright was a double portion of the estate that belonged to the firstborn. Remember Rebecca, Isaac's barren wife? God was faithful to his promise of making Abraham and Isaac's children a nation by making Rebekah pregnant with Jacob and Esau. Now, there was a stipulation. The younger was going to serve, the older was going to serve the younger. Birth placement was extremely important. He came out grabbing the heel of Esau to slow him down. All right. Thank you. All right. Now, wrestling match. Jacob was a wrestler from the very beginning. There could have never been more of an odd couple bathed in sibling rivalry. Esau was a hairy hunting and camping type. He was a real manly man. He was a man's man. And dad, dad was oh so proud of him. However, Jacob, he is much like myself. He was a quiet homebody. And he liked to cook. He loved the cooking channel. And you know what? He would clean. So he would be the perfect husband. At least that's what my wife tells me what a perfect husband is. <laughs> now, his mother, Rebecca, she sure did love him. However, God loved Jacob more than both of his parents. God set apart Jacob for a special service. The, se- the name Jacob means holder of a hill or supplanter. And supplant means, according to dictionary.com, to take place of another. As through force, scheming, strategy, or the like to replace someone or to something. One could call Jacob a deceiver. Or better yet, he was a scoundrel, a real villain. Let's recall some of the events that happened in Jacob's life. Number one, he took full advantage of Esau's hunger and situation by acquiring Esau's birthright by a pot of beans. Number two, he he deceived Isaac for his blessing. Disguised as Esau, Jacob entered Isaac's room and pretended to be Esau. Now, Jacob's act of deception made Esau want to retaliate. It made us want to retaliate. According to Genesis 27, 41, Esau hated Jacob and wanted to kill him. Please, do not be quick to judge Jacob. Romans 3.10 states, as it is written, There is none righteous, no, not one. In God's perfect eyes, we are all villains. As portrayed as the macho man, Jacob, Joe Haley, and you. Isaac did not like Jacob's dishonest and deceitful behavior. So as he was going to give the blessing to Esau, Isaac pursued what Isaac wanted, what Isaac valued, Isaac's need. Even though God told Jake, even though God told Isaac that the blessing was going to go to Jacob. But Isaac wanted his favorite son, Esau, to go out and hunt, get his favorite meal, and go to eat his supper, and then he would give him the blessing. This was going against the will of God. But Jacob and Rebekah, they schemed to get what was rightfully due to them. And Jacob was going to pretend to be Esau. Now, I will, I will briefly tell you about the events that happened in the land of Haran. Now, 
it is extremely important that God appeared to Jacob before he entered the land of Haran. God stated through this that he was in charge. Even daddy Isaac did wrong, God was still Isaac's God. He repeated the Abrahamic covenant and said he was still with Isaac. And I want to share with you today, God will never leave you alone. God will never leave you nor forsake you. Even when we mess up, whatever our past mistakes are, and whatever that we have done in the past, God has forgiven the believer. And God said he was going to watch over Jacob. God gave Jacob that promise. And God knew the hairs that was on Jacob's head as much as God knows the hairs that's on your hair, the head, because he loves you so much. And whatever comes Jacob's way, God says he will keep his promise. And Jacob needed to know that when he faced Laban. Jacob fled to the land of his ancestors, the promised land, to get a wife. And Isaac was none too happy with Esau for taking a Canaanite wife. And therefore, Jacob didn't want to make the same mistake. And God was going to use this to humble Jacob and transform his character by allowing him, a formerly a deceiver himself, to be outschemed by his trickier uncle. Jacob wants to marry Rachel. Good old Uncle Laban, though, sets the parameters. He says, Jacob, you're going to have to be reduced to a slave. And so listen to this excerpt. From the Journal of a Lonely God, the book of Genesis reveals God's deepest longing. Jacob fell hard for Rachel. Laban talked him into a seven-year deal. If Jacob could work for Laban faithfully for seven years, then he could marry Rachel. On the wedding night, when it was time to remove the veil, Jacob discovered, da-da, he was married to Rachel's sister Leah. Uncle Laban originated the bait and switch. Laban stipulated to marry Rachel. Jacob would have to work for him another seven years. To make sure it was the right girl, Jacob married first and then put in another seven years of work. Now, at the end of this 14-year hustle, Jacob was resentful to Laban's swindle. So he rustled a herd of his uncle's cattle, put his own brand on it, and left under the cover of night. It is here where our sermon begins. It is here where Jacob crosses a tributary of the Jordan River called the Jabbok River. Now Jacob is going to get a hold of God spiritually through prayer. Let's examine Jacob's prayer in Genesis 32, 9 through 12, so we can see two reasons. Confrontation. Our next, so our first point Jacob's life was a life of competition. Now, Jacob's life is going to be a life of confrontation. Confrontation's not always bad. And God's going to confront Jacob as, as God confronts us daily through, self, through our sanctification. God gets a hold of Jacob in Genesis 32. First, God gets a hold of Jacob spiritually through prayer. Then Jacob prayed, O oh God, my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, Lord, you have said to me, go back to your country and your relatives, and I will make you prosper. I am so unworthy of all your great kindness and faithfulness. 
you have shown your servant. I had only my staff when I crossed this Jordan, but now I have become two camps. Save me, I pray, from the hand of my brother Esau, for I am afraid he will come and attack me and the mothers of their children. But you've said, I will surely make you prosper and will make you descendants like the sand of the sea, which cannot be counted. Now first, there's some two main ideas in this, in this prayer. This is the first, one of the first prayers recorded in the Bible. So being first, it's very important as Christians we can understand this, okay? First, we must rely on God. This is a battle we cannot win on our own strengths and abilities. We must lean heavily on His Word, His power, and His guidance. Jacob heard that Esau was coming to meet him. Jacob feared that the penalty for his transactions were death. And the realization of Jacob's penalty for his sins kicked in. And he was tired of running. And he wanted to settle the score once and for all. Romans 6.23 states, For the wages of sin is death, but the free, God of, the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. He knew he was in trouble, like we know that we're in trouble, and that he could not save himself, and we cannot save ourselves. And Jacob's guilt made him confess in Genesis 32.10 right there, as we need to confess daily. I am so unworthy of all your kindness and faithfulness. You have shown your servant. Jacob showed a need to be justified through God's faithfulness. We all need God's faithfulness that is shown in the sacrifice of his son, Jesus Christ, on the cross. Jesus illustrated the idea of servant leadership by his own life, by being gentle and humble. He declares that true greatness is not achieved by striving for prominence over others or by grasping for power or building yourself up, but to have a servant attitude to all and even to the most lowly of people. Jesus endured the shame of the cross. And humility is not the symptom of weakness or incompetence as Jesus showed us by this, but of true self-understanding, true godly wisdom, and true self-control. Second, Jacob experienced a changed future through the acceptance of God's lordship and faith as their defining philosophy of life. He undergoes a changed lifestyle that is manifested through God-oriented values, goals, perspectives, and activities. He experiences an intentional and strategic thrust for spiritual maturity. Genesis chapter 32 is sure plan for spiritual success for anyone. By being transformed from a proact from being a reactive leader, as he was in the beginning, letting things happen to him all the time, to becoming a proactive leader through God's guidance and showing him the way. Jacob set goals that were measurable, observable, and well defined. Through this, with God's guidance, Jacob discovers how to be the proactive leader instead of the reactive. Jacob 
Right there you go. He uh, models a Christian uh, could measure God's favor by the many blessings he had. At first, Jacob only had his walking stick when he crossed the Jordan River. But now he has two camps. God blessed him even more than he even asked beyond measurable. Jacob observed God in his kindness and his faithfulness. Even when Jacob was not faithful to God, God was faithful to Jacob. And well-defined. Jacob had a specific need, as we have a specific need. And we pray to God, we pray to God specifically. Therefore, he asked specifically, deliver me from the hand of my brother. Deliver me from this sin today. Help me, God, in this way. As we talk to God, Jacob models to the Christian effective goal setting, knowing what you're striving to produce, having a philosophy that supports that outcome, and trusting in God's word. The greatest wrestling... <laughs> yeah. Did we have another slide? Oh, okay. But the greatest wrestling match did not take place in front of millions on pay-per-view, but in the quiet solitude of a desert. The Bible says that Jacob was alone. Jesus had these special moments of being alone with God. The scripture states 33 times that Jesus takes time to pray. Most of the time, he would go away and be alone with God. Certain instances are Mark 1.35. In the early morning, while it's still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went away to a scheduled place and was praying there. John 17 in the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus anguished as his sweat became blood. God gives the Holy Spirit opportunities to work in our lives when we are alone with him. God started to work with Jacob's mind, soul, and conscience. Soon as Jacob understood his need for justification, God started working on Jacob's need for sanctification. This chapter in Genesis states that right here, God physically gets a hold of Jacob, starting with the 21st verse, 24th verse. Then Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until daybreak. When he saw what he had not prevailed against him, he touched his socket in his thigh. So the socket of Jacob's thigh was dislocated while he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go, for the dawn is breaking. But he said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. This chapter in Genesis states that Jacob wrestles with a man. But let's read verses 24, 26 like we did. And we dig a little bit further in the book of Hosea, chapter 12, verse 4. It places a new perspective on this account by recording that, yes, Jacob wrestled with the angel and he prevailed. He wept and he sought God's favor. He found him at Bethel and there he spoke with us. This is no ordinary angel, but the uncreated angel of the covenant as God the Son appears in the Old Testament. And so what happens when Jacob meets with God? Well, he wrestles with him. And when we meet with God daily, 
through the process of sanctification, our, renew, our renewed souls struggle. It struggles against our sin. And this struggle continues because our fleshly unredeemed bodies yet still want to set up shop. They still want to be in control of our lives. Paul explains it like this in Romans seven fifteen through 20. Paul does not understand his own actions. Paul does the very things he hates. So therefore, it's no longer Paul who does it or lives like that, but it's the sin that dwells within him. So folks, I'm saying Jacob was a sinner. We're sinners. Brother Joe's a sinner. But God uses sinners. And God uses us where we're at. And he's going to elevate. He's going to take us from where we're at. He doesn't leave us where we're at, though. We grow with him, and we grow through his knowledge and through his love. And so we must be like Jacob and not let go of God unless he blesses you. Our spirits must be regenerated from believing in Jesus Christ, baptized in the fellowship of his church, and sanctified daily through the indwelling of his Holy Spirit. God did two things. Number one, he knocked Jacob's hip out of socket with just one touch. Boy, that was powerful. And number two, he changed Jacob's name to Israel. What an eventful night that was. And one night, God changed Jacob from a zero to a hero. He changed him from a deceiver to a believer. And God can do that with us today. And Jacob had no idea in how God was going to work. But God did, and in just one moment, Jacob's life was changed forever. And in just one moment, your lives can be changed forever. And God told Jacob that no longer will he be a replacement for another, but he will be a prince and a leader. And Jacob's new name was Israel, which means prince with God. And when we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and our Savior, we are given a new name and a new creature we become. According to Isaiah 62.2, the nations will see your righteousness and all the kings your glory, and you will be called a new name, which by the mouth of the Lord will designate. God wants to make you a new creation. We are to be distinct and different from others as a holy nation or people. Israel from that point was going to have a unique relationship with God as a distinguished people from all the others on the face of the entire earth. And God calls the believer and this church today to enter by spiritual rebirth and be transformed every day and becoming more and more into the likeness of his son. The church must seek God through his word and righteousness and purity. The second thing that God did to Jacob was literally change his walk. With just one touch, God changed Jacob's life. And everywhere Jacob went, oh, everywhere Jacob went, Jacob sure had that limp. He limped up. He was limping everywhere he goes throughout things. And he could no longer run. He could no longer hide. He had to stand up for God everywhere he went. 
He had to be a testimony to God everywhere he went. And everywhere he went, this is not how Jacob thought his testimony was going to be. Jacob had no idea what God had in store for him, but God knew. And nobody thought through weakness or through pain or whatnot that God could use you. And Jacob had no idea. However, God did. Isaiah 55, 8 says that my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. God proved to Jacob that he could not run or hide from his fears. Jacob was going to be triumphantly marched back into that land of the Jabbok and say to Esau, and say, Esau, this is God's land. This isn't yours. We're taking it back for God. And no longer is Jacob his brother Esau's substitute. No longer is he the heel grabber, but he is God's prince. He is the child of the one true king. Now most believers say their faith matters, but few are investing much energy in the pursuit of spiritual growth. Jacob, after this encounter with God, had to put more energy now just to walk, just to get by in life physically, Jacob had to put more energy in. Just to get by now spiritually, Jacob had to put more energy in. Jacob had to exert himself for spiritual growth. You just can't sit there and say, God, thrust spiritual growth on me. No. You've got to limp towards God or you've got to run towards God. You've got to ask God. You have to have your hands open and you have to say, God, make me what you want to make me for your kingdom's sake, for your son's sake. Let me learn of your kingdom. Let me learn of your ways. Teach me the Bible. Let me come to church. Let the preacher preach and teach the Bible to me. Let me teach the Bible in discipleship classes. Let me learn of your ways. Let me be an active listener and not only, thought, not only listen, but do what your word says. Take it from somebody who has to daily rely on God. Yes, I know you all have to daily rely on God because that's the only way we can get by. But, you know, I have to ask for God to provide me strength to walk, carry my children, or even hold a cell phone because I have arthritis in my hands so bad. In fact, I'm wearing a tie today because my wife, she dressed me. She put me in my tie and everything. <laughs> she, she loves me in a tie. And I remember the first day that I saw her, and I remember how I wore a tie on my date with her because it was my hopes, my hopes and my prayers that she'd see the tie, she'd see the sharp-dressed man, and she wouldn't look down, and she wouldn't see the lift on my shoe, and she wouldn't see me limp like I do. 
But you want to know something, folks? It was my hopes that she would notice all that. But you know, years later, she said, the first thing I noticed about you was your blue eyes. And I said, boy, she sure is a keeper. <laughs> because when I was younger, I lived a life. I lived the life of trying to conceal this limp. Well, church, I don't conceal it anymore like I was telling people. I was in the Kroger store. I was in the Kroger store and someone saw me walking with a limp and, and the checkout lady was asking me, saying, boy, you, you, do you have a rough time getting around? What happened there? And I said, I'm glad you sure did ask about that. Let me tell you something. I was going to preach a sermon one night, and you know something? A car smashed into me, and it killed my grandmother, and it broke all my ribs, did some horrible things to me. But you know what? God was faithful to me. And because God never let me go, and God never stopped believing in me, I never questioned God. I never stopped believing in God. I never stopped loving God. And I never stopped listening to his promises that God has. And you, church, you, believe it or not, like Jacob, you are a priesthood of limpers. And it's time to rely completely on Jesus Christ in this next year to completely get you through it. No longer can we fight for ourselves. No, Jacob thought he could fight for himself. Maybe this church thinks they can fight for themselves. No longer can I fight for myself. God has to fight for us. No longer can we rely on our own strength. God has to provide our strength for us. No longer can we walk, but we have to lean on Christ. No longer can we do work by ourselves, but we have to have partners with God and His Holy Spirit and with our friends and with the church family and with the community, all working together for the glory of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And you see, no longer will we suffer in silence, but we will share each other's infirmities. No longer will we be quiet, but we will shout and celebrate our victories in Jesus. There. Okay, good. It's up there. <laughs> now, we are not something to celebrate because of who we are, but who God is and how God sees us. The constant theme throughout this book, throughout the Bible, and throughout Genesis is that our lives can become hectic or a really big mess. However, we serve a bigger God that can help us clean up this mess. God uses the most unlikely people. He used Jacob. He uses me today. And he uses you. And he uses the most unlikely people and the circumstances to prepare us for the ministry that he has set before us. God is at work long before we notice. God shows up even when we doubt of a situation. God's solution can sometimes be different than our expectations. Christians are free from the willful sin and the sin nature, and we're set free to love God and our neighbors perfectly. 
This motivation of Christ's love allows one to love one another as Christ demonstrated his love for the world. It is a life of trying to find the ideal balance between sin and holiness that creates this tension every day that we have in the life of the believer. When a person runs away from God's sanctifying grace, one wants to hide and be alone. And God accepts the person where he is in their sins. God's love is given to the unworthy and creates sons and daughters out of them just like he did Jacob. In conclusion, I want to ask you today something. What sins are you wrestling with? God already knows them. God knew who Jacob was, but he wanted to know who, that Jacob knew who Jacob was. He wanted to know that Jacob was a sinner in need of him. And you and I are sinners. Allow God to change your character and be intentional with our walk with him. Only God can provide the salvation the sanctification, and one day the glorification of being with him in his kingdom that makes up our day and makes up our walk in Christ. Let us realize in our power we can do nothing. Most importantly, listen to the words of Paul. Listen to the voice of God to Paul, seen through this event with Jacob, that my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. It only takes a moment for God to touch us and make the eternity a reality. We're going to have the elders come up and have an invitation. If there's any sins that you're struggling with, if there's anything that you need a special touch from God, that if you need a prayer, if you need help, if you want to praise Him, anyway, anyhow, God is here. And God listens. And God wants to listen to you because God loves you.